Genesis chapter 19, Genesis chapter 19, there's no, I'm going to go sequentially through these, but really you could look at any of these homes and they all stand on their own and what we learn from them um, are all very important. And so we come to Genesis chapter 19, ancient homes with modern problems. We want to look at the home of Lot and his wife, the home of Lot and his wife. The problem in the home for Lot and his wife is the, is the issue of defection. Defection. They left the place of God's blessing. So Adam and Eve had the issue of disobedience. And if I could just reinforce that, that's where it begins, folks. I must start with this truth. Whatever God says, I will obey. You say, well, I don't like what God says about this, that, or the other. When you enter into a debate with God about what is going to be obedience and what is disobedience, you're never going to win the debate, and it's always going to wind up on the losing side. So it starts with, and we talked about it this morning, it starts with me maybe being tempted by the devil, but keep in mind, temptation is not sin. The devil's going to tempt, but I have to reject that, and I have to trust that what God says is the truth, and so I'm going to follow God's word. When Satan creeps in and tries to cause me to doubt God's word, I need to say, no, I'm not following your path because it ends in disaster. The home of Adam and Eve is racked by disobedience. They disobeyed God, and it's had an impact, of course, on all of us. Genesis chapter 19 now, we move to another couple that was an ancient home, but they had a very modern problem. When you and I travel to the New Testament, we find a statement from the Lord that is kind of unnerving. In the gospel account, the Lord Jesus Christ says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? What? Well, of course, when you return, you're going to find it. But I'm telling you, as I live day by day, and as I pastor a church and and interact with people, we go through times of covid and I tell you what, I, I was talking to a gentleman the other day on the phone. He said, he said, in many cases, about 40 to 50% of churches have just left it all together because of, you know, I didn't want to live stream. I didn't want to try to keep this up. I had a phone call or no, it wasn't a phone call. It was an email from a couple in our church. And he emails me and says, um, pastor, I'm just not uh, getting fed quick enough. And I want to be on a ramped up it's kind of a funny email and looking not ha ha funny, but okay. So he sends me an email and he says, I, 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 we're going to be leaving the church because I want to get in another church that's going to fast forward me on my learning and on my discipleship and everything like that. And I'm like, listen, I'll fast forward you as quick. I mean, come into my office every day. I'll do whatever I have to do. But he was just thinking in his own mind, I'm going to go to this other place and, and I'm just going to get a different recipe and a different feeding time and everything like this. And it doesn't always happen this way, but in this case, you know, their departure is to a contemporary church or something that's more fleshly oriented. And, uh, and I'm just like, okay, I, I don't see how that's going to benefit you. And I'm, I'm warning you, this is not a good, cho- a good choice, but ultimately you're going to make the choice for you and your family. And when I hear those kinds of stories, I begin to think to myself, well, you know what? The Lord did say when he returns, will he find faith? And we've seen what can happen. If if you would have told me that I would go a year 
at our church without passing an offering plate and that we'd still be open, I'd be like, no way, no way. I mean, literally, we have not passed an offering plate in over a year because of COVID and everything like that. And I guess COVID can find its way to dollar bills and checks and everything like that. But we don't pass the offering plate. People have, of their kindness and generosity, continued to give faithfully in other ways. And, and I'm blessed. But at the same time, I tell you, will we find faith on the earth? Now, if we only had the Genesis 19 account, and by the way, if I could state it this way, I think this is one of the most unbelievable chapters in the Word of God. I, I, I cannot even begin to fathom the truth that is given to us here in this chapter. And if you told me that this was the case, I would just say there's no way that that kind of thing could ever happen. There's just no way. But it's recorded in the Word of God, and so we know it's truth. We know it's, it's accurate. Now, one commentator well said, if we had only the Genesis account, we would never have known that Lot was a believer. If we only had the Genesis 19 account of Lot's life, we would have never known he was a believer. But the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2 that he vexed his righteous soul. Every day he spent in Sodom, God was convicting him about the decisions that he was making. He departed from the place of God. And I believe that as we look at this ancient home that there are some real benefits to our knowledge of what transpired in this home. And I believe that it can be of help to us. So let's look at these opening verses. Genesis chapter 19, would you look at what the Bible says in verse number one? There came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, Turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly and they turned in unto him and entered into his house and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat. But before they laid down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the men from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. I, folks, just reading those verses, I, I can't imagine that. My mind cannot grasp this kind of a scenario. But listen to me, Lot had chosen to put his family in the midst of this. And I want you to see this ancient home with the modern problem. Let's pray. Ask the Lord's directions. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Again, would you bless us and uh, direct us in everything that is accomplished in the course of this weekend? Again, it may not be an issue for the folks that are gathered here. And that would, of course, be my hope and prayer. But they may have someone that's right on the brink of this issue of defection. Perhaps they know a brother. Perhaps they have a child that's married and they're right on the brink of defection and making a choice just like Lot. Lord, would you help us to not only strengthen the arena of our own marriages, but would you help us to be a help to others? I believe that in times like this, we can put tools in our tool belt, in which we can be a minister to other people. And so I pray that you direct me. And may this be a help as we consider this ancient home with a modern problem. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Why did Lot defect and leave the place of God's blessings? Well, number one, here it is, Genesis chapter 13, 
There was a strife that separated him. A strife that separated him. We'll do a little bit of traveling through the life of Lot. If you'll turn back to Genesis chapter 13, and I want you to see the strife that separated him or separated them from the place of God's blessing. In Genesis chapter 13, again, just by way of quick review, Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram out of the land of his home, out of the land of his family, and says to go to a land that he had called him to. It's the, it's the beginning of God's dealing with a nation instead of God's dealing with the world as a whole, as he had done in Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis chapter 12, he begins to deal with one man and now one nation, that one man is Abram, and from Abram is going to come a seed that will number as the stars of the sky. Genesis chapter 13, in this family relationship, Abram, Sarai, have along with them a young man by the name of Lot. And as Abram's wealth begins to grow, Lot's wealth begins to grow. And as you and I consider all of the movements from chapter 12 and then into chapter 13, we can very clearly see that God's blessings were upon Abram. Well, that's the kind of person that I want to be close with. This is the kind of individual that I want to be friends with because God's working in his life. I want to stay as close as I can. But something took place in Genesis chapter 13. Look what the Bible says in verse number one. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. By the way, he left Egypt, but he brought a lot of Egypt with him, and that was going to cost him. Verse number two, Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journeys. Now look down at verse number five. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. The strife that separated them. Do we stay or do we go? Now, the truth is that we only face strife because of imperfections. Okay, you and your spouse probably got together because somewhere in your early conversations, you found that you had some things in common. Okay, so when my wife and I sat in a bleacher section for three hours watching insignificant basketball games that we didn't care about, we found out that both of our dads were in the ministry. So we talked a lot about being ministry kids. We found out that we both went to Christian school. So we talked about what it was like to be in Christian school. We found out that we both used a similar style of schooling. It was called ACE. I don't know if you've ever heard of ACE, but it's a pace system. You work at your own pace. And so we had a lot of great laughs about the pros and cons of paces, and we very well understood what each of us had been through. We get together for all those things that we have in common, but then once we're together, we find things that we do not have in common. She loves chocolate ice cream. I'm a vanilla ice cream guy. I'm I, chocolate. I don't get it. Vanilla. It's the way to go. All right. She loves salt. I, uh, she's like, Hey, here, put some more salt on it. I was cooking. I didn't put any on it. Make sure you put some salt on it. I'm like, ah, I like pepper. Okay. If I'm going to spice it up, you know, spice it up or whatever, you know, she likes the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ah, I don't know why. 
She's a Steelers fan. I'm a Washington. Who knows what they're called now? <laughs> I'm a Redskin fan, all right? All right, I've been a Redskin fan all my life. So anyway, I, it's just in my blood, all right? So we joke now about the things that we have that are not in common. So in this coming week, we're going to drive down to Magnolia. We do not have Magnolia in common, okay? Our first time up into Minnesota as husband and wife, we realized that there's a grave problem in the state of Minnesota. Owatano, or Owatana, did I say it right? Outlet Center is here. Cabela's is here. And they're separated by dozens of miles. Why? Why do you do that? Mall of America, dozens of miles away from Cabela's. We go into Cabela's. My wife says, you got 10 minutes. <laughs> Seriously? I could spend 10 minutes looking at the trophy deer that have been killed across the country that are there in that Minnesota Cabela's. We arrive at the Mall of America, three, four story. The place has got seven old navies. And I say to my wife, listen, you got about 15 minutes. Do whatever you want to do in the Mall of America, all right? We find that as we've been married for a long time, that we always struggle with certain things. Have you ever had this conversation, or is this a only us conversation on Sunday morning after the service? Where do you want to eat? I don't care, honey. Wherever you want to eat. Okay, let's go to KFC. No, I'm not really in the mood for KFC. Okay, let's go to Panda. No, I'm not really in the mood for Asian. Okay, let's go to El Paso. No, not really in the mood for Mexican. How about McDonald's? No, it's Sunday. It should be a big meal. Okay, Arby's. No, not in the mood for roast beef. Well, then where do you want to eat? I don't know. Just wherever you want to go. I can't take it. Now, I know this is only us. Okay, this is only us. Husbands, do you ever pull into Walmart? Honey, there's a spot. I'm parking over here. There was a spot right there, honey. Why did you pull all the way over here? I don't want anyone to ding my door. <laughs> so we parked way in the outskirts and so forth. Listen, I'm, I'm talking about trivial, trivial strife. So when my wife and I are dating, we're joking about me spending some money on golfing. And every time I golf, she'd buy a dress. <laughs> we're so far beyond that. The problem really in our marriage and finances is not her. She goes to Kohl's, and she'll spend 50 bucks, and she'll come home and say, Todd, I'm, I'm sorry I spent $50 on some clothes, and you know, and I'm like, okay, that's all right, honey. I just came from All Shooters Tactical, and I spent $2,000 on a suppressor <laughs> and an AR-15 so that I could, you know, protect the home. <laughs> you get this, guys? All of a sudden, all of our hobbies become the wherewithal for the protection of our family. We need that boat to have the big engine so we can make a quick getaway in the event that the mob surrounds our house. 
We need the bigger engine in the, you know, we've got all kinds of these things. We find out that maybe we're not on the same page for everything. And here's the point. There's an awful lot of couples that solve that strife by walking away. Guys, listen, there are going to be things that you have differences of opinion on. You might have some strife over, you know, our boys have never heard us in an angry argument, but they have heard some very loud discussions, right? The truth of the matter is that in today's climate, everyone sees the first sign of strife, and so they want to separate themselves. And I'm saying to you this morning that so often that that separation comes at the expense of removing yourself from the place of God's blessing. Lot was blessed not because of his own genius, Lot was blessed because he was next to Uncle Abram. In reality, instead of dealing with the strife, there was separation. But I would submit to you that Lot would have been far wiser to say, Uncle Abram, I'm going to sell some of my cattle and reduce my men so that we don't have any strife so that I can continue to live close by you. Because the best place for me to be is right next to Uncle Abram. But Lot did not make that choice. Lot said, no, I want to hold on to all of my stuff. And I want to hold on to all of my servants. And so he made the decision to look out on the opportunities that lie uh, without Abram's oversight. And what did he do? Look with me there in chapter 13 again. The Bible says, Abram said unto Lot, Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between thy herd, uh, my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Look what the Bible says in verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. I submit to you that the first thing Lot should have done was to say, Uncle Abram, I'm going to sell, I'm going to do whatever's necessary, but I want to stay close by you because all this... All this strife is not worth it. He should have stayed under the blessings of Uncle Abram. But if he didn't stay under the blessings of Uncle Abram, the next thing he should have done is to say, Uncle Abram, what do you think I should do? I had a very wise man in East Tennessee. He was a head deacon for me for many years. The Lord, in his wisdom, because it's beyond my wisdom, took him home to glory on a, on a Friday night into Saturday morning, he was only 70 years old, but this man had more wisdom in his pinky than I have in my whole body. And I was so blessed and moved and directed by him. I was so uh, discouraged by his early home going, and I just didn't understand it, frankly. And I wished I would have sat at his feet for longer. He was such, such a good man. And you know, you don't realize that kind of wisdom until it's taken away from you. And as I look at this scenario and I say, Lot, this strife should not remove you from the place of God's blessings. This strife ought to teach you some lessons. And in truth, it should have taught him, I need to ask Uncle Abram what he thinks I should do. Now, I know we don't often think of this in terms of our kids, But the truth of the matter is, I wish that I would have asked a lot more questions of my parents when I was younger, because as I get older, I realize my dad is a lot smarter than I thought he was. (laughs) 
My mom and dad are a lot wiser than I ever thought that they were. I wish I would have asked more questions. I wish I would have submitted more uh, uh, questions to my dad and said, Dad, what do you think I should do? My wife and I were newly married. We had a 1985 Honda Civic. It's a little four-door stick shift car. And uh, I found out from the mechanic that it needed $150 worth of CV joints. And I was like, $150? That's ridiculous. I'm not spending $150 on new CV joints. This is a 1985 car. It's old. It's rusted. The air conditioning knob doesn't work. (laughs) I'm going to go to the Honda dealership and I'll solve this problem. Uh, I didn't call my dad because I was going to show my dad I'm a man and I've got wisdom. And at 21, I know what I should do at the Honda dealership. And so I went in the Honda dealership and they looked at my car and I saw the car that wasn't just sitting on the lot, but it was sitting in the showroom. And I didn't just buy a Honda that was sitting on the lot. I bought the Honda that was sitting in the showroom. And when I drove off that lot, man, I was something. And I had insurance on that car for my life, for my wife's life, for my dog's life, for my parents' lives. They had put so much stuff. I had Armor All insurance. I had all kinds of of these extracurricular things that they could be doing on the car. If the time came that they needed to have an oil change, then it would be, it's already covered for the plan that they put into the paperwork. And so I drove that car home and I said, Dad, Mom, come on over and let me show you. Your son's a man. (laughs) My dad comes in and says, when did you get this? I said, Dad, I went to the Honda dealership and I got this new car and I didn't even need your advice. (sighs) How stupid was that? Now, my wife could have said, I told you so, or anything like that, but she didn't. She was kind. Oh, that I would have just picked up the phone and called my dad. Said, hey, dad, I need to put $150 worth of CV joints on our old car. Or I can go buy this brand new one and have them take me to the cleaners. (laughs) What do you think my dad would have said? My dad would have said, hey, why don't you put the $150 of CV joints on? Well, these are lessons. And I look back and I say, hey. I paid for it. I paid for it for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. You know, I paid for it. Oh, that I just said to Uncle Abraham, hey, what do you think I should do? There's a strife that separated them. Please listen to me carefully. Don't let Satan use strife to separate you from the place of God's blessings. You see, I'm not saying that the place of God's blessings is always hunky-dory because we do go through difficulties in the place of God's blessings. But if you're in the place that God has called you to, then you know that God's with you in the place of that turmoil. You, You go out on your own, you're on your own, buddy. Everything I submit to you about Sodom and Gomorrah was on Lot's head because it was not the place of God's blessing. Number one, the strife that separated them. If there's strife in your home, deal with it. Don't separate. If there's strife with your children, deal with it. If there's strife for your kids in school, deal with it. If there's strife at work, seek to deal with it. You say, if this is the place that God's called me to, then I want to deal with it. I want to address it biblically. 
Satan is a master at creating strife to get us to separate from the place of God's blessings. He's a master at it, okay? Number one, the strife that separated them. Number two, the slavery that should have stirred them. Genesis chapter 14. Strife separated them. They make a decision to go and live down in Sodom and Gomorrah. Strife separated them. Genesis chapter 14, the very next chapter, and I won't take time to read it because I'll butcher some of the names, okay? But here's what happened. A number of kings came against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the ones that came against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah had more might and more power, so they enslaved everyone related in Genesis chapter 14, everyone related to Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? So they came down and they overran. This is in the time before nations were really built. This is more of a marauder type thing. And if I've got more than you've got, and I've got more power than, I, than you've got, then I'm going to take whatever I want from you. And an outlying set of kings said, we can take the wealth of Sodom and Gomorrah and we can make it our own, okay? So that's what happens in Genesis chapter 14. In the midst of all of that, Lot gets caught up in this situation, okay? There's a phone call. You know, you get one phone call when you go into slavery, right? Somehow, again, I'm, I'm giving you a simple story, all right? One escapes and comes to Abram. This is my favorite part of the story comes to Abram and says, hey, nephew Lot, he's been captured. All of his stuff is captured. So Abram says, oh, no, I guess he's gone. There's nothing we can do. No, 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 no. I love this part of it. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible. He armed his trained servants. Wouldn't that be incredible, men? If we were confronted with this, he said, no problem. I'm going to arm my trained servants. This is awesome. Over 300 of them. And so Abram takes his men and goes down and delivers Lot from the kings that had come and taken all of his stuff that he had separated himself from Abram because of. Of course, the story goes that the blessings of Melchizedek, great, great truth in chapter 14. But here's the point. Lot... Was it a good idea to separate? You know what? That was a bad idea to separate. Here's your wake-up call. You know, Uncle Abram's got over 300 trained servants, and they delivered us out of the hands of these marauding kings. But a slavery issue comes along, and it should have stirred them. It should have been that Lot said, I'm not going back there. Abram, do you have a back section of the house and property that I could take? Because I'm not going back to live there. It's not safe. <laughs> slavery should have stirred him. But what's he do? Abram. Hey, thanks, uncle. Appreciate it. See ya, we'll be okay. <sighs> How does this happen? We had a young girl that was a senior in our teen department, 1994 into 95. Great kid. She excelled in our teen department. She served or she's serving in our Christian or in our in our church and teen department, but she goes to public school. 
She'd made application to Bible college and she was headed to Bible college just doing fantastic. She was, we had what was called proteins at the time. It's a system out of North Carolina and she just excelled in all of her Bible work. Just a great kid. March of her senior year, 1995, she came to us and she said, brother Todd, Miss Rebecca, can I talk to you? And I said, sure, sure. We were on a teen retreat in Gatlinburg and she said, I'm pregnant. And I said, April, this girl's name is April. I said, April, we love you. Miss Rebecca and I are here for you. We will help you any way we can. So she's, this is March. She's going to graduate about the first part of June. And we said, April, we're here. We'll help you. I mean, obviously we do not believe in abortion. Let's deliver the baby. Let's make a good decision for the choice of the baby and whatever God would direct on this. And I said this, I said, please do not marry this guy immediately. Okay. I didn't know the guy. So I had no idea how she got pregnant. I didn't know the guy, but I just said, let's put the, let's put the brakes on this whole scenario. Okay. I said, let's, let's just slow down and let's take a breath. Let's deal with the pregnancy. And then let me meet this guy. Let's work through some things and let's just see. No, no, she married him. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't happen. I just was like, don't build your marriage upon a bad decision. Let's set some things right and then, uh, you know, move forward. So she, she married the guy. And I said, okay, April, you married him. Okay. It was a disaster. They were together for a little while and then they got a divorce. April comes back to me now. She's got a child. She's got a divorce. And I said, okay, April. Okay. This is all past. You can't change the pregnancy. You can't change the, the, the nature of getting married. You can't change the nature of the divorce now. Let's just take a breath, get in church, serve the Lord. Let's, let's make some things right. Lo and behold, not too long, and I find out she's pregnant again. And with another guy. And I said, April, okay. I mean, by this time, you, you know what I'm thinking. Please do not marry this guy. Let's get some of this stuff. So again, I'm going through this whole scenario each and every time. And each and every time, all I could think about as we walk through this kind of thing is stop the insanity. I can't change what's happened, but I'm going to start making better choices. Lot, stop the insanity. This strife separated you. Was the separation correct? Is it what should have happened? No. They should have never separated. Lot should have tucked himself under and said, I don't care if I'm a personal pauper. If I'm with Uncle Abram, I'm going to be of all people blessed. But he removed himself. And now a slavery issue comes where his entire family is enslaved. And it doesn't stir him to say, Uncle Abram, please forgive me. I was wrong. I want to come back. And I want to live close again to you. I don't care about the strife. I don't care about all my servants. I don't care about all my livestock. If it means that I'm close to you, I'm going to get back. I'm going to start making better choices. And this slavery should have stirred them. But it didn't. Lot sets up shop again, right back in Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me ask you right now. Is there something that God is doing in your life where he is being merciful and gentle in his form of discipline? 
And it should be the time frame in which you are enslaved or you're in a difficult spot. And you say, listen, we've got to take stock of what's going on. And I want to make sure I'm right. Because perhaps God's trying to gently move you back to the place of blessing. I go all the way to the matter of the prodigal son. And we look at the prodigal son and we say, oh, that had to be horrific. I don't know if you've ever slopped hogs, but I have slopped hogs. I may not look like it right now, but I've slopped hogs. One of the best times of slopping hogs that we've ever had in the state of Iowa, there on my cousin's farm, a lady had made two cheesecakes and they looked beautiful. But the problem was she forgot to add sugar. And so they were like this thick and man, they looked magnificent on the countertop. They did everything they could to make sure that there was no cracks in the cheesecake. Oh man, they looked magnificent. We cut one sliver out and said, oh, this is going to be awesome. And they took a bite. (laughs) What in the world is wrong? I forgot the sugar. So we took those cheesecakes. They were both about five pounds. Oh, we walked out to the hogs. I'm telling you what, those hogs were going crazy. They had cheesecake all over them. They loved every bit of that. They didn't complain that there was no sugar. They were slopping it and loving it. And I tell you, we look at the prodigal son and we say his time in the pig pen was the worst of times. But in truth, it was the best. Because it's what it took for him to come to his senses. We'd look at this capture by the kings that came and overwhelmed Sodom and Gomorrah. And we'd say, oh, this is the worst time. My family's been enslaved. We've lost everything. No, it actually could have been the best thing. Because he still had his life. And this slavery should have stirred him. And he should have said, listen, I'm getting back to the path of blessing. Praise God, he didn't allow me to go further. But instead of going to the path of blessing, he defected. The slavery that should have stirred him did not. And it brings us to number three, the sin that seduced them. It brings us to this third point, the sin that seduced him. Genesis chapter 19, we find our way all the way back to this chapter. The sin that seduced them. Verse number one. There came two angels to Sodom and even. Now we believe that these two angels were partnered with the Lord Jesus Christ in what is called a theophany in Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 is perhaps one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. Genesis chapter 19 is one of the most horrific chapters in the Bible. You say, Pastor, why is 18 beautiful? Because Christ appeared in person to Abram in a pre-incarnate appearance. And Abraham had the opportunity to talk face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ. What an unbelievable experience. And it goes beyond that. It goes to the intercessory prayer of Abraham when he begged God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And what a precious, precious example for all of us in the intercession that's so necessary for praying for our spouses or praying for our children or praying for loved ones, friends, neighbors, co-workers. Abraham poured his heart out in intercessory prayer. The Bible says the Lord departed one way and the Bible says the two angels went another way and they went to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And they're going to pull Lot and his family out. Lot goes and knocks on the doors of his children, and they mocked him. In verse number one, the indication is that Lot is not only there in Sodom, but Lot is now involved with the politics of Sodom. And he's become a powerful individual in the land of Sodom. And so I want to give you three things about this sin that seduced them. And as we consider this ancient home, I want to put you on notice because we are all subject to this possibly happening in our own lives. I cannot look at anyone else and say, well, I'm immune to this because I'm made of flesh and blood just as you are. But here's the problem in Lot's life. Instead of humbling himself and dealing with the strife, he left the place of God's blessings. Instead of addressing the potential slavery, he moves back into Sodom and Gomorrah, and now he's elected as an official in the city of Sodom. And here's the sad attachment to sin for Lot. Number one, he is looking toward the world. Chapter 18, the Bible says he lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld the well-watered plains. Satan will always have a magnificent billboard that will cover up the actual consequences of choices that follow his path. Satan will always have a magnificent billboard. We've driven through the city of Las Vegas before, and it's amazing if you're ever driving in Nevada and in Eastern California, as you're getting closer and closer to Las Vegas, it is lighting up the night sky. And you think to yourself, oh man, we must be within a mile or two of the city, but you're not. You you can be a dozen miles away and you see the lights already glowing. And Satan has been a master at developing the Las Vegases of the world and making you and I think that everything is blinking lights and wonderful sunshine 24 hours a day. But behind that billboard, he has some dire consequences. Lot lifted up his eyes and he looked to the well-watered plains, but he gave no significance to the sin that was in the lives of those that were in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says in chapter 13, he's looking toward the world. Number two, in chapter 19, he finds himself living in the world. Can you imagine being a Christian living in a city where two strangers come into town and all the men of that city, young and old, come and knock on the door and say, send out those two strangers that we may know them, that they might have physical relations. They were going to abuse them the whole night. Can you imagine being a Christian in that kind of arena? I remember the first time that we drove through San Francisco. We took a a trip uh, from Tennessee and we drove all the way out to California with another couple. had a great time. And we just knew that when we arrived in San Francisco, it'd be nothing but homosexual relationships. Everywhere we'd look, I think we might have seen one. And it was at a really far distance. We were really having to strain ourselves to tell if it was two guys. This is 25, 26 years ago, you know. But I was like, oh, that's, you know, I've heard all these things about it. But you know what? None of this compares to what Sodom and Gomorrah was like. And the Bible says Lot took his family and lived in the middle of it. Listen to this. He became so popular that he was an elected official. How does a believer reach that point? Number one, he's looking toward the world. Number two, we find himself living in the world. And number three, he's lingering in the world. Chapter 19 and verse number 14, the Bible says, 
That as he has been grabbed by the nap of the neck and told forcibly, you're leaving with us, that the angels took Lot, his wife, and their two girls. The Bible says that Lot's wife turned and turned into a pillar of salt. And in truth, they just could not give it up. Boy, you could take Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but you couldn't get Sodom and Gomorrah out of Lot. So four things about this lingering in the world, and mark this down, especially for your children and other people that you have opportunity to influence. Here's four things for you to write down about lingering in the world. Number one, he doubted what God said about leaving the world. Hey, Lot, we're going to destroy these two cities. You better get out. Number two, he delayed. Ah, Come on, let me pack up a few things. Any of you have ever been through a tornado and you know that a tornado is coming? You better not linger. You better not delay. If those tornado warnings are there, you better get to shelter and you better get someplace secure. It will devastate everything around it. Lot, eh, you know, can't we just, you know, move to this little close by place? Number one, he doubted. Number two, he delayed. Number three, he debated. Can you imagine debating an angelic being? I'm not sure you really know what you're talking about. And number four, he was defeated. What's the real value or what's the real issue of what was taking place? Well, Lot, judgment is coming. Okay, so let's go back and let's just do a quick review and we're done. Strife separated them. Lot should have never separated himself from the place of God's blessings. Slavery should have stirred him. Hey, this this is an eye-opener. We got to get back to the place where we're going to be blessed by God. We need to get back in church. We need to be back faithful in tithing. We need to straighten the things out in our marriage. We need to make things right with our kids. I know that the separation separated, or that the, the, that the issue separated us, but we need to get back. We need to do right. But I tell you, sin was so seductive. And it's so delved into their lives that they just looked for it. They began longing for it. And they just couldn't get enough in living in it. The end of chapter 19. Again, can you believe this? The end of chapter 19. The daughter's mental capacity is so polluted with the mindsets of Sodom and Gomorrah that they actually believe it is a good choice. In their mind, they think the entire globe has been destroyed. And so they say to themselves, let's get our dad drunk and we'll have children by our dad. I think you'd agree with me that at this point, if Lot could go back to Genesis 13 and say, Uncle Abram, if you don't mind, I'm going to get rid of some of these antagonistic servants and I'm going to get rid of a few head of cattle so I can stay nearby you. That's the same story that I would share with you about that girl, April. The last time I saw her, she was in and out of jail, addicted to drugs. Saw her at a fast food restaurant in the parking lot. And she said, hi, Brother Todd. And I said, hi, April. So much water under the bridge. And so much that I'd say to that young lady, hey, can't, 
Can't we go back to that night in March of 1995 and make a different choice that night? But you know, Satan seduced her and she fell for the slavery that comes with it. And instead of these things stirring her and leading her back in her right path, she continued down. Two daughters commit incest with their drunken father. You see, you can take the wicked out of the city, but you can't get the wicked out of the person. Is it a surprise that young girls that had been offered to the men of Sodom would choose this course of action? Remember, Lot had originally said, don't don't do anything to my house guests. Here's my two daughters. Do whatever you want to them. Lot lost his wife physically. He lost his daughters morally. And this digression took him to defection. Let me close with this illustration. Can you really afford a one-year lease with the devil? Hey, it looks awful good. Hey, I think I'll stay a little bit. The devil's got everything set up for me. I'm of a big house, a big car, fancy job. The devil says, here, here, go ahead. Just sign right there on the dotted line. And he hides everything else that he's gotten behind a fancy billboard. That's exactly what happened with Lot. And the Bible says that Lot's problem in this ancient home was the issue of defection. Ancient home with a modern problem. But I wonder if your modern home has this very ancient problem. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Again, I pray that these truths would ring true as we talk about different aspects of marriage, whether it be communication or the physical side of things or finances or whatever area of life. If there be strife today, Lord, would you help each one of us to deal with it? It's amazing to me how many times I've heard of couples that have been married 30 plus years and they come and they say, we're done. We're getting a divorce. And I'm just, I'm amazed. Why would you get a divorce after being together for that length of time? But they just say, there's just too much strife. We're going to separate. And then as things begin to go poorly and they should be stirred by what happens as Satan begins to take control, instead of being stirred to go back and do what they ought to do, instead of having that stirring to put themselves back in the place of blessing, they continue right on. And Lord, it just it's, it's so apparent to me to see chapter 19 and to understand that Lot had totally been seduced by sin. He looked at it. He began to linger. And boy, he just loved living in the midst of this sin-sick city. And we find in this passage that the end result is two daughters that had extremely corrupted minds and extremely corrupted thinking. And they said, we'll have relations with our dad. And they both had children by him. That's unbelievable to me. And I believe every couple here in this room would look back at this ancient home and say, man, what a problem.
that they would defect from the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe that we have a lot of modern homes that have this very ancient problem. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us protect us from defection. Help us to make strife correct or to make it right. Lord, protect us from that sin that would so easily seduce us. Protect us from that one-year lease with Satan. Where he presents so many things and says, hey, you can have it all. Just sign on the bottom line. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed and you're just there in your place and praying to yourself. I say to each one of us right now that this is something that can affect us at any point in time. The Bible tells us that David was in his late 60s when sin seduced him. And he looked out over his balcony and saw Bathsheba. That was in his late 60s. My folks know an 85-year-old pastor who had retired and went and hired a prostitute. At 85 years old and a life of ministry, sin seduced him. We begin to look at it, we linger with it, and we begin living in it fully. Can I just encourage you today, deal with strife, your marriage, in your home, don't let it separate you from the place of God's blessings. Perhaps it's been a separation from a good fundamental church. And you say, you know, honey, we need to get back in that place. We need to get back in that place of ministry. Our kids are affected by not being in church. Our, our family's affected by not being in church. And, and I know we had a disagreement over the color of the carpet. But boy, that shouldn't be strife enough to separate us from the place of God's blessings. Lord, would you work in each of these couples' hearts and lives? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.